strong women, smart policy, solid theology, and no apology. This is Concerned Women Today with Penny Young Nance, CEO and president of Concerned Women for America, the largest public policy organization for women in the nation. Last June, Concerned Women for America stood outside the Supreme Court week after week, waiting for the Supreme Court to release its decision of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Standing out there with us each and every day was a group of progressive feminists dedicated to magnifying secular leftists and LGBTQIA plus pro-life voices. Did you get that? They're progressive people, mostly women, feminists, but they're pro-life. The group is called Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising, also known as PAAU. And despite our differences on almost every issue, we continue to stand together in unity for the lives of the unborn. The group's founder and executive director, Teresa Bakovanak, has boldly dedicated her life to fighting for the lives of the unborn at whatever the cost. Teresa has been arrested multiple times and has even spent time in jail for leading peaceful, civil disobedient actions in and around abortion facilities. She's the founder of Pro-Life San Francisco and former president of Democrats for Life America. She's also become a friend of mine and joins us today. Teresa, I just loved getting to know you outside the court as I was just explaining how we met. Um, and I was so just taken with your group that I feel like I have so much in common with and just started just, you know, fell in love with you because you're just such a sweet person and have just been so dear. And you're just so real and have worked so hard for the unborn. I mean, I just, we'll talk some about some specifics that you and your group have been involved in in just a minute. I would love for you to share with my listeners, how did you become pro-life? I know you're progressive. Which thing came first? Were you always progressive and then you became pro-life or what, what was the order and like what brought you to where you are now? Well, Penny, thank you so much for having me on. It has been an honor getting to know you. And thank you so much for asking. I got, I, I was raised in a house that was very religious, but we weren't pro-life or pro-choice, which essentially we know is pretty pro-choice. Mm -hmm. um, and my parents were not political at all. They did not vote. They believed God was in charge and that voting was just not a part of our religion. And later in life, I, like most young people, um, began to hold left-leaning views. Um, and I was pretty pro-choice. I, I argued for the choice side in high school and debate class, and I just considered myself pro-choice, but I was Christian. And I became very involved in my church in my early 20s, and I was very close with someone who would challenge um, some of my beliefs and say, you know, I've, I've always been very sensitive to animal rights. I, I've been um, vegan for more than 10 years now. Um, but he would say, how can you care about the dolphins and not care about unborn children being killed in the womb? And I thought, well, unborn children, it's just a clump of cells. And he went out of his way to show me pictures and images of babies in utero and abortion victims. And I thought, okay, Something is probably wrong here, but you know, there is so much injustice in the world and babies go to heaven when they die. God's gonna right all the wrongs in the end. 
And, you know, I'm just going to do what I'm doing for any other issue, which is just pray about it and hope for the best. Um, so I essentially stayed pro-choice, even after um, having kind of this awakening about it potentially being something bad. Uh, but it wasn't until I lost my faith completely just over time that I really started to come back to the issue of abortion because I had to rethink my entire moral compass, what's right and wrong and and why. And I kept thinking, if I only get this one life, if I have just this one in four trillion chance of even coming into an existence and having this conscious experience of the universe that is so rare, uh, who has the right to take that from me? And I kept thinking about unborn, that they're here and their lives are being snuffed out before they even have a chance to have this experience. Um, but I kept it a secret. I really just, I, I was atheist at that point, which I remain. Mm -hmm. And um, I was left leaning politically and living in San Francisco, California. I thought this, there's no way that like I'm pro-life. Every time I hear people talking about <laughs> pro-life issues, it's like from a conservative Christian standpoint. Right, so right. I'm like, I just don't know where I fit in. So I didn't really talk about it. Um, and then some years later, I saw um, someone who I had previously known in my work capacity in the private sector was posting on a page called secular pro-life. And I thought, oh my gosh, there are <laughs> other people like me out there. And then I started reading about Nat Hentoff and Christopher Hitchens, and I was blown away. I realized that left-leaning and secular people can be pro-life. And um, and so I started to talk about it more, get more interested in the topic, the discussion, the, the arguments, the philosophy. And um, it was in 2015 when David Daleiden's videos came out exposing Planned Parenthood for selling baby body parts. And I was working at the corporate office for Louis Vuitton at the time. I was a corporate trainer and I took time off of my break to go watch that video. And I think, you know, looking back, I knew at that point that I was not going to have a normal life. Hearing um, Deborah Nukatola talking about crushing mm -hmm. certain parts of the baby to preserve organs, it just broke something inside of me. And I, less than a year later, Trump was running for president and I thought, you know, this guy, there's absolutely no way he's going to reach my community on this issue. And I realized I couldn't just keep complaining about not having anyone representing people like me if I'm not myself willing to get out there and do it and risk my reputation, my career, and all of these comforts of life to do it. So I just did it. And I founded Pro-Life San Francisco, mm -hmm. uh, which still exists today. And then um, six years after that, I founded the Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising. You are so tenderhearted. I mean, I think people that, you know, maybe just see you, um, you know, on, on the show or on TV or something, maybe don't realize that, but just being with you, I just know that you're just so tenderhearted and you care so much for the least of these. It's funny. I'm listening to you talk and there's, I relate to some of it, you know, I relate to, there's a lot of Christians who have that position. Like we just want to, we're just going to be here safe in our pew and, you know, we're going to ignore all the bad stuff and, you know, maybe we'll vote 
maybe we won't, but they sure as heck aren't going to show up outside the Supreme Court or, you know, or do some of the things, the incredible things that we'll talk about in a minute that you all have done. And so we have this constant battle of like waking up the church and telling them like, look, you are to care for the least of these. And this is part of your responsibility to love justice and to, and to, uh, you know, to, to work towards mercy. And this is part of what we're called to as believers. And so, you know, the thing that you experienced growing up, that disconnect still exists. And we work very hard to, you know, help people understand and to see it. And the other thing that I find so surprising is you came to your pro-life position after you left the faith. Usually what happens, the story I normally hear is people like they had no faith, and they came to the Lord and came to Christianity, and then they started reading their Bible. And then they saw that, you know, in Psalm 139, that says that God knit us together in our mother's womb. He knew us, you know, before any, before we were even made um, and we're fearfully and wonderfully made. So I just, anyway, for whatever that's worth, I just think that's incredibly interesting. So thank you for sharing all that with us while we're talking about that. And you're talking about Trump. I mean, you, you, I think are a Democrat or you always were and of course, on the issue that matters the most to you, they are the extreme, right? So how do you see yourself politically? Do you consider yourself an independent? Are you a Democrat? Are you a Republican? I'm not a Republican. I do still consider myself a Democrat. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a registered Democrat, but I'm a progressive. And I recognize that there are major issues, obviously, with the Democratic Party. I never vote for pro-choice Democrats. That is literally giving aid to someone who is going to use that power and influence to murder children. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm not complicit in that. And in those cases, when I feel like there's not a candidate I can vote for, I abstain from voting. Although mm -hmm. I still turn in a ballot um, just kind of as a protest vote. Although I've only ever lived in places where my vote really doesn't matter anyways, <laughs> like San Francisco, Washington, DC. Yeah, yes. Um, so I have the privilege Come of being able to- Come on out to Virginia. To We'd love you in Virginia, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I think that's, it's that's important. a hard one. And I, you know, I am so grateful for Democrats for Life, which you also worked with, because I think it's really important that there are people in that party that are agitating for truth. If they don't have people within their ranks, you know, standing up for the unborn, then forget it. It's never going to happen. But, um, but it's important that that conversation is happening. So I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, I think when we're when I'm looking at the landscape of the issue of abortion in America. It's very obvious where the problem is. The, the abortion industrial complex has no power in the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. All of their power comes from their toxic relationship with the Democratic Party. But it's kind of a lie because at least a third of registered Democrats still identify as being pro-life. And if you yeah. look at the Gallup and Pew polling uh, when it comes to the legality of third trimester abortion, the vast majority of Democrats don't support that either, even That's though the right. party platform does. So I think this is the pillar of power for our opponents. And if we're able to disrupt this relationship, we can end their influence, not just here in America, but across the globe. And so that's why we focus yeah. so much on the left and, and refusing to just kind of leave the left and join the right, that, that will do nothing to stop the power that this institution has with the party. You're right. You're right about that. And I'm old enough to remember when there was a, a number of pro-life 
House and Senate members that were Democrats. So this was a bipartisan issue until really, I think, the 90s, maybe mid-90s, when um, the the Democrats set about, you know, at the behest of the abortion industry, kicking out of their party their pro-life members. And it's never really regained its footing, although, like you said, there's certainly plenty of Democrats. I know those people, and they're very caring people. People who, you know, are they don't know what to do. The party left them. They don't, you know, and they're kind of stuck at this moment. But I but you're right. A disruption is the way to go forward and disruptive. My friend, you are. (laughs) In some of the very best ways, I will never forget standing there in front of the Supreme Court with my little church ladies and, you know, we're there and, um, and with a smile on our face and prayerfully and, and, you know, uh, you know, advocating in the way that we always do and seeing, you know, your group come up to join, you know, to join in the protest and watching the other side, thinking that you were their team. Yeah. <laughs> because you all come up with the bullhorn and, you know, there's, there may be an LGBTQ flag and there's people with purple hair and like, you know, all these things. And they think, Oh, our, our groups here. And then all of a sudden their, their mouths drop open when you come join our side. <laughs> and it was really fun to watch. I got to say over and over again. Um, but the other thing I, I would love for you to explain to my viewers, because I think the story, the story and listeners, the story of, you know, uh, justice for the five and what happened there has really not gotten the attention that it should have. Many people do not know this absolutely mind blowing thing that happened. So can you share a little bit with my listeners about that? Sure. Um, last March 25th, 2022, Uh, My colleague, Lauren Handy, who is our director of activism, she and I were headed to an abortion center to do a pink rose rescue where we go inside abortion centers. We challenge the property line by walking inside and we hand roses to the moms and just let them know that it's not too late. They can cancel their appointment. We can help them and we connect them with resources like let them live. And this has worked before. We have saved many women this way and, and, babies and one of Wait, so how does times, that work you walk in and you have a pink rose and you offer it to them and you say hey come with us like yes, we can some, help you and sometimes they get up oh yes sometimes they leave with us um sometimes we get their phone number and text them and then they'll leave later sometimes they'll just take the information and call the number and then um go about it that way but this has definitely saved the lives of many babies um and and spared their parents uh, significant heartbreak. Um, and then, and, the, we, and then eventually the staff kicks you out and calls the police and all that, right? That's, I mean, that's yeah, we usually, there's different ways to go about it. Usually when they just tell us to leave or we just go and hand them out and leave ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it's never really an issue. Um, but sometimes if we're feeling really brave, we'll decide to stay in solidarity with the babies as long as we can, as they're being led to their deaths. Mm-hmm. And in those cases, we would be arrested and we have done jail sentences mm-hmm. um, for those types of rescues. It, I, I did one in Alexandria actually um, last year. So this is kind of the essence of a lot of what POW does. We do direct action. We are mm-hmm. actively putting our bodies in between the oppressors and the oppressed. 
And we had done this at this particular clinic before and saved a baby just a few months before that. So we thought, let's go back there because Planned Parenthood was closed for the day. We usually go to Planned Parenthood on Fridays. So this was the Washington Surgery Center in Washington, D.C. That's right. So we show up to the Washington Surgery Center. As soon as we get there, we see a truck parked outside labeled Curtis Bay Medical Waste Services. We've been doing anti-abortion activism long enough to know what that means. This is the medical waste is the dead babies. Right. So we walk up, the driver is outside, the boxes are on a dolly on the on the sidewalk. And I said, do you know what's in these boxes? And he said, no. And I said, it's dead babies. And he looked really shocked and didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And um, we confirmed that they were from the Washington Surgery Center. They had the labels on them. And I said, would you get in trouble if we took one of these boxes? And he said, well, what would you do with them if you took one? And my colleague Lauren said, we'll give them a funeral and a burial. And so he said, okay. And immediately Lauren grabbed the box. Some woman came out of nowhere and said, what did you just give them? And our hearts are racing. We have no, we, we have not planned this. This is like totally out of the blue. We're like trying to get it back to her apartment. We're calling everyone we know who's ever potentially handled fetal remains. We don't know what's about to happen. Lauren is Catholic. So we mm-hmm. um, we found a Catholic deacon who was willing to come and be there while we opened the box. We set up a camera. We went to CVS. We got gloves, masks. And then with the camera rolling and the deacon there, we cut open the box. And we inside the box was a red bag and we cut open the red bag and inside were hundreds of these small round um, turquoise plastic containers, each containing initials and the date of an abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, we were immediately horrified. This is, we were kind of unsure about what we would find. We suspected it would be fetal remains, but we thought it could be bloody gauze. It could be all kinds of medical waste. Um, we don't know what kind of box we got, but we knew then that we had uncovered the remains of of children. And at the bottom of the box, there was a a white clearish plastic garbage bag. And when Lauren pulled it out of the box, we could see that there were five much larger buckets inside. And one of those buckets was much bigger than the others. And our hearts just dropped. Um, We knew, we knew we were like past the point of going back like what are you right there's no, there's no one we can call there's no experts in this type of thing right um and so we we opened the biggest container and that was definitely the most soul-crushing experience of my life we lauren reached her hands into the bucket and she said mm. this baby is whole and she pulled him out and it was just this beautiful baby boy, perfectly intact, no wounds on him. No, uh, he was well beyond 30 weeks. We carry around a 22 week model. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the size right, right. of a 22 week yes. baby. And this baby was just- Which is big by the way. I mean, big. you can cradle that baby, right. And our 26 week baby, we have all those models at our office. So this you're talking, was enormous. this is a baby that you would, you know, you would expect to see in any nursery, honestly. This is a full-term baby. And immediately we know Santangelo, who's the abortionist there. We know that he said on camera multiple times that he doesn't use a, a fetal injection 
to um, cause demise to the baby before doing the abortion. So immediately we're suspicious that this baby was born alive given mm -hmm. his gestational age. And then we opened the other buckets and the next one was Harriet. Um, we named the bigger baby Christopher X. Um, and then Harriet was the next baby that we opened and she has one eye open right when we open the bucket, she's just looking right at you close to 30 weeks, perfectly intact. Her, her feet just twisted in agony. Her, the back of her neck had been cut and her brain had been suctioned out and her skull had been crushed. And we, we know that that is a partial birth abortion, which is a federal crime along with leaving a baby to die. And of the other three that we that we opened, at least one other was potentially born alive. The baby was completely encased in their amniotic, uh, in their sac, in the amniotic sac, likely just drowned in their own amniotic fluid. And so our worlds just fell apart in that moment. You know, I, I've been doing anti-abortion activism now for seven and a half years. I know what happens in an abortion. I've been fighting it for years and yet it just, nothing prepared me for that experience. And that it is, has radicalized that is me even further. Horrific. That is horrific. I mean, I'm I'm crying now just hearing you talk about it, but though you have pictures, right? And I've seen them and we're going to be using them. You've been very kind to share them, you know, through uh, Instagram. If any of my listeners have not seen them, and I bet most haven't, but they want to, they trigger warning, like, you know, if you've got something in your past that this is going to bring up, don't look. But if you feel like the Lord's leading you to go look, then I think you should, because I think you have to know what you're talking about. You have to know what's really happening in order to be able to share it with others. Where do they go, Teresa? Is it still on um, your Instagram or where do people go to see the pictures that you all put out? Uh, go to our website, pownow.org. One of the first drop down options is justice for the five. Click on that. There'll be warnings before you see the photos and a little bit um, of a, an explanation about what you're about to see. But if you scroll down, you will see these victims. And we think it is absolutely critical that everyone see them, even pro-life people, people like me and Lauren, who were literally going there to stop the murder of these children were, have been completely affected by this. And it is critical that we are moved by this. Yes. We cannot just vote and say we're pro-life and expect that to be enough. We have to mobilize thousands yes. of people to act directly on behalf of these children. And this if you are feeling called to do something like that or questioning whether or not you want to get more involved in that way, you need to see these victims. Yes, you need to remember who we're fighting for. I agree. Um, it's paaunow.org. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, okay. Yes. I mean, I'm just, again, I can be someplace where your kids aren't around. I caution you and just know what you're getting into because not everybody can handle this, but if you feel led, if you think it's the right thing, then I, I really think it's important. I mean, I kind of put that under the same heading of the reason when I go to Israel, I go to Yad Vashem, you know, I, I need to know these things. I need to be aware of what evil looks like so that I can speak out against it. Um, so the Washington Surgery Center is does abortions up until birth and uh, legally so because they're in the District of Columbia. 
And I will tell you, Teresa, we've never had this conversation. I've been getting calls from nurses and apparently there's doctors as well who are deeply disturbed about what's been coming to them because of the Washington Surgery Center. They basically do a chemical abortion. They send, they give the woman the um, the first chemical dose of a chemical abortion, send her to the uh, hotel room. And then sometimes she delivers while she's there. But the idea is she comes back the next day, I guess, and delivers in the clinic. But it doesn't always end up that way. So if somebody I know called to say that they have one of these babies and she's passed. It's a little girl. She's passed 26 weeks. The week before, they had a woman come in and deliver a dead 30-week baby. Um, and so here's where we are, folks. This is the consequences of the left's abortion, any number, any reason, up until birth policy. It really happens. People don't think that it happens, but it does. And you, Teresa, have seen it head on, have seen it with your own eyes. And I just I just think it's essential that other people know. Um, what are the what's the legal consequences? I know there was some things that came up right away, but kind of where is that right now? Well, there were no legal consequences for this. We broke no laws. The police never even questioned us about this. And why would they? They're going to open up their uh, our opponents to discovery and things like that in court. They're they're right. not going to come after us for this. Um, but what confused a lot of people and what still confuses us to this day is that while we were in possession of these children's remains, there was 115 of them in total. Um, 110 of them were buried by a priest um, in somewhere nearby. And the five largest, we contacted DCPG asking them to do an autopsy and to investigate their deaths. Mm -hmm. And somehow between us making this request to the police and them actually coming to get them, the FBI showed up spontaneously and arrested Lauren uh, for a rescue that she had done at Santangelo's clinic two years before. Mm -hmm. And so when she was taken into custody, this became a big story. It really, it, we were we were concerned when we had these babies. Of course, like we're looking for private pathologists. We went several days without sleeping, looking for answers. What do we do? Like, what are the next steps here? And, um, and the FBI just came in and ultimately wrote the story for us because it, it made it an international story. Mm -hmm. And people will say, oh, the FBI raided Lauren's home and or the police found the babies in a home. No, we contacted them and essentially gave them the opportunity to come take them and do an investigation, which they have not done, by the way. Uh, the persecution of Lauren continues because her trial is actually in August. She's being charged under the FACE Act of 1994, um, the Freedom to Access Clinic Entrances Act, which doesn't make any sense since there is no longer a federal right to abortion. But she and some of our other activists are facing more than 11 years in mm. federal prison for nonviolently blocking allegedly um, access to Santangelo's clinic where he's committing federal crimes. It is just absolutely sick that we're in this situation, but there's lots important. of, there's lots of concern 
uh, among conservatives about how the FBI has been weaponized by this administration on this issue and other issues. And I feel like this is just one more example. Is there any kind of legal fund for Lauren and, and uh, the others? Yes, there is. I can link you with that um, okay. in just a little bit. Yeah, I would love to also put that information out. Can you, I would, so you and I recently, and your team, Lauren and I specifically, uh, ended up working together um, on something in Alexandria. And before I get that, I want, I want to kind of get out the word about um, that, what you're doing in front of drugstores and what you're doing, Stop Abortion Rx. Can you just tell people a quick, a little quick thing about that? Yes. So we launched a campaign, Stop Abortion Rx. This is a campaign for literally anyone who's pro-life. It's it's not specific to progressives. Uh, we just wanted to get um, this project off the ground. But essentially, pharmacies are vowing to soon carry abortion-inducing drugs at your local retail pharmacy. This essentially turns every single pharmacy into a killing center. Mm -hmm. This is an act to normalize abortion and to make more money and ultimately power for the abortion industrial complex. And we're just not gonna stand for it. So we encourage everyone to go to our website that we've created for this project, stopabortionrx.com. Um, and you can learn about upcoming events. We are going inside Walgreens and CVS uh, retail stores, doing disruptions, speaking to the staff, um, just making sure that they know that we haven't forgotten what they're promising to do and that we're not going to let it go. And I think that this kind of thing has been successful in the past uh, for different social justice yes. movements, and we can make it successful for our cause as well. And so, and we've partnered on that because we're kind of doing our own thing on that. And that is, you know, even if you don't want to go in and disrupt, you can stand outside and hold a sign. Right. And so the customers coming in and out know what's happening. And every single one of us, and I did this at, at the local CVS, can ask to speak with the manager in a very polite way and ask them the question and say, I will never be able to work, be able to shop here again if you are going to offer um, uh, the abortion pill. This is a direct violation of my conscience, and I need to know what you're going to do. I just did this not too long ago when this first came down from, you know, the Biden administration making the suggestion because their goal is for every CVS and every Walgreens to offer chemical abortion. And so this young woman who was is the manager said, you know, it, not every store is doing it and not every state's doing it. And right now, you know, our office, our main office has said, uh, not right now, but they'll be getting back to us. And I said, well, how will I know? Do I need to keep checking back with you? And she says, no, actually, we're going to put up a sign in the front of the store, which I doubt. But anyway, regardless, I check <laughs> every time I'm in there, I check to see if it's there and see because it'll be over the counter. And um, and so, you know, you we have to stay on top of it. And there is so much we're seeing here, you know, with Bud Light and all these other things that there is power of the purse. You have power to stand up for your principles simply by respectfully suggesting and telling people how you feel, or maybe on steroids, you're more of Teresa's ilk and you want to be a disruptor. And so I think that's, you know, up to each individual, but what's not okay is to do nothing. Everyone, you know, now 
we're telling you what's happening. And so we are called to account. We know what's happening. Do you want to care for the least of these? So moving forward. So, you know, we just recently had a situation. I'm usually with my, you know, my whole posse of CWA ladies. Like we usually have a whole ton of us out in front of the court or whatever. But just recently, um, I sent out the word that there was going to be a hearing in Alexandria City on changing the rules for land use in order to bring in more abortion clinics in the city of Alexandria. That's where our office is. It's where I live. And um, and even, I mean, it's a, it's a lefty city. Let me just say, it's a very blue state, blue city in, in Virginia, which is tends to be a little purple. Northern Virginia is more liberal than Southern Virginia. And Alexandria already has two abortion clinics. It's not as if you know, they're, they're not satisfying their quota or if they're, you know, I don't believe in the need for abortion, but if people want to pursue abortion, it is here in Virginia because the state legislature has not done their work yet in changing the law. And, um, and that I believe will come, but we have to keep working. The Senate in Virginia would not passed the bill that would have actually allowed Glenn Youngkin to have changed the law. And he was looking at doing a, I think a, it was a 14 or 15 week ban. So, which is not good enough, but it's a start in blue city of Alexandria. Well, the word got out that the, the mayor, who's a very leftist mayor, I mean, every, every bit of the, that term, um, and and in the worst possible uses of that term, his name is Justin Wilson. The word got out that he wants the city of Alexandria to be the host for abortion tourists. He wants people to come from other states, from West Virginia, he specifically said this, to Alexandria for abortions. And so I had been on, I sent the word out to our, our field, our people, our local people. There was a lot of people signed up online uh, to speak. And I believe that was some of our people, but I had been on a trip for, for work to California. I'd just gotten back the night before. And so I really hadn't thought about what the day was. And so I was out running errands, you know, walking around the city because I live, you know, close by, I live in Old Town and no makeup on and workout clothes, my hair up in a scrunchie. And I happened to walk by Lauren with a bullhorn <laughs> standing outside the city council. And all of a sudden I remembered, wait, this is the day. And I looked around, I didn't necessarily know if our people were there. And I'm like, I cannot let Lauren and the PAAU woman, women and men go in there alone. I have to go with them. So I just stopped whatever I was doing and, um, and just walked in and signed up to speak. And I, you, had a whole team there and other people were speaking. And then I got up and said what I had to say. And before I'd gone in, um, one of your volunteers handed me a, um, a picture of a victim of a baby that had been aborted and was lying there in pieces. And I got to tell you, Teresa, I have never in my life used the victim's pictures. I usually at our rallies, we want children there. And so we're kind of careful about what the images are, but they certainly have a place in the conversation. It is part of what brought me very strongly to the position that I hold on life is precious and it begins at conception because when I was in college, someone showed me victims pictures. It was in a little booklet. It had a warning on it. I knew what I was looking at. Nobody surprised me. Nobody forced me to look, but once I looked, I couldn't unsee it. And so it, it really changed how I viewed the entire issue. 
So he handed me the picture and I said, I don't know. I, you know, I was like, I don't know if I can, show, I don't usually do this. And so I went into the meeting and I was listening to the conversation. I was listening to the testimony. And so the way it works with the city council is not like a congressional hearing where there's some back and forth. They allow people to speak. They have their, I don't know, whatever, one minute or something. And then, uh, and then the city council speaks. So there's no back and forth, but I was looking, it was, I, I knew that it was going to be a unanimous decision and I just couldn't let it go by. So when I came up, got up to speak, I said, you know, I talked about several things. I live here. I'm a business and employer here. You have our, this is a solution in search of a problem. So people that already want abortion, you've already got it. You just want to bring more in, but I want you to understand what you're really voting for. And I said, don't look if you are, if you have an abortion in your past, if you're going to be triggered, I suggest you don't look, but Mr. Mayor, you need to know what you're advocating for. And so I held up the picture. This is a picture of a little baby in pieces, and this is what you want. And what I would say to you is what I would suggest is that this is classist and it is racist. Your answer to poverty and to people in need is to give them abortion and abortion and then walk away. Why don't you put that kind of effort into helping women in need? Well, that was basically what I said. I think the time room ended. I sat down and then the city council started speaking. And although my name was not specifically mentioned, I was just absolutely, you know, dragged over the coals, you know, terms like lying, misinformation, disinformation. Oh, the other thing I went after was the Women's Commission for Alexandria, which it was so fun, Teresa, that a man was there presenting what the Women's Commission wanted. I always loved that. And what they wanted at the Women's Commission is more abortion, of course, in Alexandria. And I said, you've misnamed that commission. That should be some women because not all women in Alexandria want that. In fact, I'd say the majority of women in Alexandria do not want more abortion clinics that could be located next to the Safeway or next to the, you know, pharmacy or, you know, you're bringing your kids home from school and you have to stop off and get school supplies. You're going to see women stumbling in and out of abortion clinics. That's not what the women of Alexandria want. But anyway, they were not pleased with my testimony, but I, I was, I was, thankful and proud to stand there with you all as you stood firm and said what you needed to say and then even did a little disruption on the way out the door. I am so proud of you. That's so awesome. <laughs> I wish I could have been there. I think it's interesting, you know, the conversation about whether or not to use victim imagery. I came into this movement, you know, in like these left-leaning pro-life circles that are very much like oh, we're not like the regular pro-life movement. We would never do something like that. And I was definitely one of those pro-lifers that's like, oh yeah, no, don't show graphic images. That's so tacky. Like no <laughs> one's going to listen to you. It's just going to shut it down. But I started noticing how in the animal rights movement, victim imagery is critical mm -hmm. and how we would show images of the animals being abused and how um, documentaries depicting animal abuse were the number one reason that people um, joined the animal rights movement. And then I started to think about other justice movements and, and studying other justice movements across the globe. And I realized that there is like a science to this, that there are certain things that 
have to be done in order to make major social change. And one of those things is showing the victims. And one of the reasons the pushback is so extreme is because it really does challenge the status quo and that's uncomfortable for everyone. It really does show a truth that cannot be told in any other way. And then I discovered the hidden history of our own movement and how you know, the history of Operation Rescue and direct action and so many of these other tactics that I thought just didn't exist in the pro-life movement. And I I felt very moved by this and very kind of called in a way to, to take on these more controversial tactics. And I mean, who better than someone who's already like an outsider anyways, um, in basically <laughs> any circle, like I can just make them a little bit more mad. Um, but I think that it has been one of the primary teachers for the pro-life movement and for our opponents and just to draw people into our movement and to mobilize activists on our own side to really make major social change. We have to show these babies. Well, and it's not a new idea, right? I mean, the abolitionists yeah. used it. I mean, exactly. you know, if you read about William Wilberforce and the Clapham right. group, that's they they had pictures and they they showed which you can see in museums today, how what the slave ships look like and the disgusting, evil, inhumane way that they stacked up, you know, slaves as they were bringing them over and the chains and all the things. And you're right. In order to, like, disrupt people who are comfortable, you have to show them the truth sometimes they have to be willing to see it and receive it so i'm not sure you know i think there's a place for it though that's what i will say i don't know exactly where that line is and i think certainly when there's kids involved you got to be really thoughtful about it but i think there's certainly a place for that and certainly our organization is replete with people who over the years have taken part in rescues i mean our former a former president of cwa actually um couldn't go to the state of Florida for a long time <laughs> because, wow. she, because she had an, an outstanding bench warrant, I think, for like, and she actually spent time in jail. That's Wendy Wright, and, and we love her. And there's been people, volunteers of ours, that have been involved at that level. And so that's not been my story, but I recognize there is a place for it and certainly always peaceful, always. And you all are always peaceful. Um, and I, I hate it that... You know, the federal government's been weaponized against against Lauren and others. She is so sweet and so dear. And um, and we want to be sure that we are, you know, there for her and, and recognizing prayerful. And if you feel led to give to her legal fund, I think that's really important. Um, Teresa, I guess we're running out of time. I could just keep talking forever. Um, what else? What else should we know? Anything else that you want to share with a, a group of people that you don't normally talk to that we should know about what progressive pro-life people think or feel or know? Um, well, I think it's important in, when talking about justice for the five that we know that these babies are still in the hands of the medical examiner, that they still have not had justice and it's still within reach. Mm -hmm. If we compel Congress to hold hearings for these children, to call Santangelo to testify, that can be the cover for an, a national ban that we're looking for. This can show the American people exactly why we have to ban abortion, especially in these later trimesters. 
And so I really want to encourage everyone to call your Congress people, especially um, members of the House of Representatives, and let them know that you want hearings for these babies. I think it's also important to know that the FACE Act, the act that Lauren and, and others are being charged under, it needs to go. Yes, Very often... Pro-life people will say, well, you know, it's intended to protect pregnancy centers too. So we just want it applied equally. That's not going to work. This and it's law, not applied equally. No it, way. it never has been. It's like two to several hundred. Um, sure. And this law was created to oppress us, not to help us. And we can protect pregnancy centers on a local level. But even pro-abortion activists shouldn't be going or, or even threatened with decades in prison for spray painting a pregnancy center. This is just an unjust law all the way around. And I think our legislators are a little bit afraid of speaking out against FACE, um, but we need to encourage them to do that, that FACE needs to be repealed and it needs to be repealed immediately so that Lauren and the others who are facing these unjust charges can go free and continue their life-saving work. Yes, and CWA fought that at the time. I actually was like a 20-something lobbyist at the time. We we um, lobbied against the bill. We, I think, even filed suit against it once it actually was um, passed into law under the Clinton administration. It is an unjust law, and it doesn't in any way match the idea that a peaceful protester, I mean, this is really how it was used at the time, peaceful protesters sitting outside a clinic entrance, um, and, you know, and then suddenly they're dragged off and put in prison and faced with federal charges up to, as you said, up until 11 years. That was a lot. <laughs> we could keep going. I just want to thank you so much, Teresa. I've enjoyed so much getting to know you and just, you know, hear how you think and, you know, exposing, you know, my experience to different new and different people. And there's just was a really sense of unity as we all stood there together, very different, but joined together outside the Supreme Court. And, um, and I know you don't believe, but we believe and we'll be praying for you and we love you and we love your team and um, we just will be here for you and continue to pray and we're going to work together. And I am newly um, excited to lean into the issue of justice for the five. We really need a House Judiciary Commit Committee hearing on this or an oversight committee. So I am I am even more eager to have conversations with Jim Jordan and others in the House side and and ask for that. So I appreciate what you're doing. God bless you. And we'll continue to fight on. Thank you so much, Penny. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for everything you're doing for the babies. All right, sister. God bless. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. Concerned Women Today is a ministry of Concerned Women for America, bringing you biblical perspectives to today's most pressing issues. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. We pray this episode has been a blessing to you. For more information, visit ConcernedWomen.org.